friends, listeners, this James. Today's episode is with a hometown hero of mine and a really famous radio personality back where I grew up named Corby Davidson, who has listeners all around the country, all around the world. Um, and he's one of the biggest radio personalities back in Texas where, where I'm from, someone that I listened to when I was nine, 10 years old because my older brothers introduced me to 1310 AM, the ticket when I was young. And um, it is such uh, a blast to get to chat with him because he's just simply put one of the most entertaining individuals in the world. And that's why he has millions of listeners every day. And it's why, uh, it's why Shaq has said a number of times that he wanted, if he could do a podcast, he'd do it with Corby Davidson from the ticket. Um, so I think you're going to really enjoy today's uh, episode. We cover a whole host of topics, one of which is on actually um, interviewing because he's interviewed about 5,000 people in his career. And it is uh, something that I'm obviously, you know, I could learn a lot from his experience as I start to do it more, more often with this podcast. A little more about Corby, and this is straight from his Wikipedia page. Um, not changing a word. He's also known as the snake, the cobra, friendly cobra. And beyond just uh, being a, a radio personality, he is also the owner of a cobra farm in, Dal- in Louisville, Texas. It was established in 1714 by Corby himself. The snakes worship Corby, the, who they call the, co- the cobra whisperer, by bringing him dead rats that they found for him, which gives him his snake powers to brainwash the snakes. In turn, it's a, it's a really sad cycle when you think about it. Corby has won a Nobel Peace Prize for luring snakes out of the White House in 1903 during the Great Snake Parade. Uh, that's just um, it's a fact because it's on Wikipedia. And Theodore Roosevelt thanked him personally with this Nobel Peace Prize. So that at least tells you a little bit about Corby or, or about his fans. Don't know which uh, it tells you about more, but that is, again, word for word straight from his Wikipedia page. So we kick it off with talking about his his two decades of of interviewing people and what I can learn from it, and uh, and the rest of the conversation is just so hilarious and get to learn a lot about about this guy that I've listened to for for years, uh, and I've always wanted to ask him a handful of of these questions we get to today. So I'm excited for uh, for everybody getting to getting to listen to it. So let's jump into it. This is below the line. Corbs, James, my man, we're doing it. I know. It's a few weeks, a few weeks in. Cheers, sir. Cheers to you. Kick this off. Cheers. Our styrofoam cups. Um, I have a bit where, where I've been uh, just introducing a very weird drink into each episode, but today's episode is just water. Keeping it real. Well, I have a, I have a Crown and Coke. This is my post tennis match victory drink so otherwise awesome. if i would have lost i would have been having water too but that's yeah. awesome yeah that is, um well we drink it for the both of us thank you uh five seconds ago we were chatting about interviewing mm-hmm. and you've interviewed um thousands of people all the peoples you you have you all have the peoples least, everyone relevant to uh to dallas fort worth 
you have you have interviewed and you're telling me some tips as i begin my my journey in this and mm-hmm. this whole podcasting thing for interviewing um do you mind telling me what goes through what goes through your mind when you're sitting down to interview someone okay so it's it's strange because it's gone from full panic you know having someone on and being one trillion percent prepared and really over prepared i think to now depending on who it is obviously i mean if it's like a robert plant or somebody like that then you want to try to make it unique you want to try to talk to him about things that you think he hasn't been asked which is impossible but still you want to take that approach but it's gone from where I over-prepare to where I almost, depending on the guy, I under-prepare because you'll ask a question and if you really want to get to know the guy, you just listen to an answer and then you kind of take what he says and it spawns off into something from there instead of being like the overprepared guy who's got 15 questions and you're staring at your little piece of paper and you're nervous that um, you don't even, you're not listening. Mm-hmm. And that's the key to interviewing is just listen to who you're talking to. And the follow-up question is typically there. Mm-hmm. They'll say something you're like, whoa, okay, cool. And then you go from there and then you play that thread out until it's exhausted and then you can go on to your next thing. But so many people, I think at least, so many people within doing uh, in the interview game, they just want to get to their questions. Mm-hmm. And sometimes their questions aren't the best questions, you know? Mm-hmm. But if you listen closely, you know what the best question is. It's a, it, it, it's a thread that they mentioned that people prop may, not, may not be aware of, and you take it in that direction. Mm-hmm. And then you can always come back to your stuff, you know? So that's what I try to do now. I, I'm not underprepared. I've got stuff prepared for whoever's on the air, whether it's like a sports guest or whatever. Um, but also, I'm, I'm underprepared. I, I, you just want to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Not force it. Yeah. Who's um, so many questions to ask you about interviewing? One of which is. Um, who's re- who do you admire in the interview? And for the listeners that don't know. Corby is, and I you know, mentioned this in the intro, um, Corby is the the radio personality uh, of Dallas, up there with maybe one or two other people. But when people think of of radio and, and Dallas, Texas, which is a market of 5 million people, um, Corby's name is always is one of the first to be mentioned. Um, and and you spent you know over two decades on air, Man. so you've been doing it uh, about as long as as anyone um, out there. Well, actually, some of your colleagues have been doing it, you know, tad longer. Yeah, but yeah. it's um, you really are uh, synonymous with with radio in Dallas. And so, yeah, so many questions to ask you about interviewing. Who do you listen to or look up to? And and on the you know radio TV personalities that that nail the interviewing game. Stern is Howard Stern's number one, and um, always will be for me. Okay. For there's something about him that there's a calmness to him, even though people think that you know Stern when you know, that name is synonymous with with shock jock and all that, but there is no doubt about it. That guy understands how to interview people. And how to let the game come to him. You know, he'll, it's not, it, you know, people may think that it's all about 
you know, how big are your boobs or whatever with that guy. But it's, it's especially here in the last probably two decades, he's transformed himself, I think persona-wise, perception-wise, from this guy that people are freaked out about because he carries the stigma with him to, my God, this guy understands the interview game more than anybody. And he really, really does. He just, he's so patient with whoever he's talking to. Um, he asks incredibly insightful questions and they may be super goofy, you know, to get to a certain point. But if you lighten the mood a little bit, you have no idea what you can bring out of a certain person. And, and nowadays Stern is the interview for him. The interview game is that's his show. You know, he's 60 whatever years old and he's out of that mess that got him to where he was in the eighties, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so just to listen to that guy and the way he handles everything, it's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Letterman's the other one. Um, Dave is, and I think late Dave, like Dave is, Dave was on Ellen the other day talking about how he worked 10 years too long because nobody, yeah, yeah because nobody at CBS would tell him to leave. And I agree. Like Dave's show definitely took uh, a turn for the worse there for the last decade. But his interviewing skills, which to me, you know, I'd seen enough of stupid pet tricks and the top 10 list and all that. When Dave had somebody on that I wanted to hear from, it was must watch TV because Dave is so, so good at calming people down and asking the right question and, um, you know, waiting for his opportunity to ask his own questions. It's just everything about it for me with, with Letterman is, is brilliant. And, and, you know, that's why he did that Netflix show too, I think, where it, it played to his strengths where he could just be one-on-one with whoever, Obama or Clooney or Stern. He and Stern did a show together too, where, that was the that's the format probably from his 60th birthday that he should have been doing in the first place but that wasn't really out there hmm. he still had to do the show you know and as much as he probably didn't want to do the show he was tied to it i think a lot of these people too if i may break off here oh please um like seth mcfarlane seth mcfarlane feels beholden to family guy right now because he's got, I don't know how many, 100 people working for him on that show, and American Dad, and he's got all these people that work for him that it's what they do, and they're making a really good living, and as much as Seth MacFarlane probably would just be super happy with cutting the ties with with Family Guy, he feels like he has to do it. Mm. And he's still super creative, and the show is still, you know, light years ahead of other shows as far as, like, pushing the envelope and comedy. He is locked into it because I think he feels guilty that if I let this go, what are these people going to do? Mm-hmm. Leno was a lot like that too. What are these people going to do? And maybe himself. What will like? Well, yeah, yeah. Drive things for five years, and people are always returning to like you know this this you know Arrested Development's coming back kind of because maybe the these actors you know it wasn't the greener pastures, right? Right. They thought. And it's, you know, it's, it's the actors mainly though. It's the, it's the crew. It's the amount of people that you employ from the very bottom of, of, uh, uh, of the ladder 
um, all the way to the top, whether it's the actors or directors or whatever the case may be, those guys start to feel like I am, I, these people have a life because of what I'm doing. And I think it's really hard to let go in that situation. Like for what I do, no. But for what these people do where you have, you know, a hundred people underneath you, yeah. that's, that's a lot of pressure. You and know? it's checking every box for what you would have wanted 20 years ago. Exactly. It is but, a hit. People are watching it. People love it. People are writing in that they love it. Right. But yeah, it's... Um, it, it turns into a responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think that is really, really tough to manage once you get to that level. Mm-hmm. But having said that, Stern, Letterman, for sure, are... They're, yeah. they're, they're what I look up to as far as how to handle things in an interview. Can um, we go a little deeper into what, what you mean of... So for Stern, um, and you said this for Letterman, it calms calms you down. And can you talk talk to me a little bit more about like why is that important? I can guess why it's important. Why is that important? And then picking when to ask the questions you had written down mm-hmm. and when to go with the flow. Um, well, always go with the flow. Always. You may not get to half your questions, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Who cares? If it's good, it's good, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you don't get to it, you don't get to it. That Maybe. just means it went in the right, it went in another direction and it went in a direction. If, if it goes, you know, in a, like this, like in a podcast format where you have an hour or whatever, however much time, then you got a lot of time to deal with things. Typically for me, it's a 17 minute interview and you've got to, you got to try to get your stuff in, but at the same time, you got to be super patient with it and realize that damn, you, you may, you may be done and be like, I, I wish I would ask that. But at the same time, it was a lot of fun. It was good. He was happy. She was happy, whatever the case may be. Um, there's no template, mm. you know, it's just, I think the more comfortable the person is, um, whether it's your questions or whatever, it's just, whether it's the setting, Jack and Coke, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The more <laughs> comfortable that they are, the better it's going to be. Right? Like that's yeah. every situation in life. The more comfortable you are, whether it's a dinner right. or a business meeting or whatever, the more comfortable you are, the better it's going to work out. You have to make sure that they're comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, and that they're relaxed and that they know that you're listening and that this may not be some sort of bullshit. I've got seven minutes with the guy and I'm going to ask all the same questions that I've been asked 500 times. Mm-hmm. You know, just be a little bit different and what a little are, bit. What are some of the, what are some of the cardinal sins now? Like you, you mentioned listening that obviously mm. seems so tempting to just jump into the questions you have pre-prepared. Yeah. Thinking about the next question. Right. That you're going to ask. So what are some of the cardinal sins that you see other, other people where you just like are cringing during an interview? You're like, oh. That's some... just that just the like i mean you hear it you, you'll hear it when you're watching tv listen to the radio listen to a podcast why didn't he ask this what whoa what, what were you, why are you breaking off now why don't no ask the why did he go to istanbul or whatever right. you know like what, what's going on there why are you doing that that is the best the best uh, interviewers the best podcasts that i love listening to or radio interviews or where it's, I'm thinking a question in my head. Yes. One and a half seconds later, the the interviewer asks it. Yeah. And it is, and I'm like, wow. Yeah. That is amazing. I, and then I'm 
you know, forever, um, a fan of whoever that is and, and, and their podcast literally off of that, probably that single aspect more than any other is in my head. They're just, um, people when they're interviewing, I'm thinking, Oh, why did exactly? Why do you go to Istanbul? And then they ask it. And that actually happens super rarely. Maybe it's because it there's it is so tempting to not listen. Well, or to to just make sure the next question yeah, is uh, is amazing. And I believe that like uh you know, this format for the people that are that are good at it, then this is the perfect format for just the basic interview. You know, like it's one format thing being podcast. Podcasts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you have unlimited time you have a situation where if you say like hey you know what i don't like that let's go in a different direction what it's not awkward you're like oh yeah it's cool and edit that out like this Mm -hmm. is this is the most relaxed form of interviewing you could possibly have Mm -hmm. because if it if someone's pissed off they're pissed off and you can stop me like whoa hang on let's back off here now that may be a good thing where you're pissed off and 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 you get going in that direction if they're cool with it. But you know, the standard radio or TV format, TV is the worst. TV you know, as great as Letterman was, Letterman always had 10 minutes. He may have carried a guest over for 15 minutes or whatever, and you had two little 7-minute segments with him. Mm-hmm. And there are some that are iconic for for Dave. But I think that's where Stern and um, anybody in radio has an advantage where you can carry something over. And TV is so regimented that there's no fucking around with, Hey, I'm going to take this. Um, um, I, I was supposed to break here, but I'm going to, I'm going to take this an extra nine minutes. Mm-hmm. That's not, you No, like, no, you cannot do that in TV with radio. You can, you're going to have to rob Peter to pay Paul, which is a very, uh, like a, a famous saying in the radio business where you're going to have to like pay for that break at some point. Um, but you know, this obviously is the ultimate of, you don't have, you're not beholden to, uh, sponsors. You don't really have to do anything. You just kind of do what you want. So this is really cool from, from that standpoint. Yeah. Well, and, and you, um, I want to touch on one other thing that you mentioned on this before we move on the, uh, you mentioned, uh, Gordon Keith, who's one of your colleagues Mm -hmm. take it. You said he's He's great at interviewing, but what what was the the re- I said something about he can get Honesty. anything out of it. Okay. He gets he gets people to tell the truth. So Gordon um, Gordon does the morning show. He's part of the you know same outlet that I'm on, and he's on the you know does a morning show. And it's not just it's not so much you know Gordon's going to sit there and interview sports guy, but Gordon with a wireless mic from the get go at the radio station. He would just being himself get people to say things. You're like, I cannot believe they're admitting to that. I can't believe it. And then you know, you you crib from people and and you 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 massage them enough, and that's what I started doing. You you learn that, wow, I can do this too. I can get this out of them. Um, things that never should be said on the air that I would never say that they'll admit to. And I don't know what it is. And I, like we were saying before, I, the microphone is incredibly powerful where it should be a a deterrent. It's Mm -hmm. the opposite. It gets people, people are more honest when 
And I don't, why, why, why would you be more honest when it's something that's being recorded that theoretically could be broadcast to the entire world at right. some point, um, where you would think that you would want to be a little more, um, guarded you want to back. Or... Yeah. Yeah. You want to be a little more guarded. Now it's, it's the opposite. So I learned a lot from Gordon early on, like in the nineties, seeing him work and like, all right, let's see if I can pull this off. And again, with that, with like a wireless microphone, which is random people, it's more about you initially meet them and you make them feel comfortable. He does that. And both of you do that so well where it's the intro, the first two seconds of the interaction is so warm. Yeah. It is so, right. it's just like, hey, how are you doing? And then, yeah, Gordon will throw in a curveball that is like, that is right. just asking for a controversial right. uh, scenario to unfold after the kindest, yeah. probably wearing the biggest smile. Right, for sure, for sure. And you're always, and that's the other thing, is that with 95% of these people, you definitely, you have, they know, well, they, you know, you, you have an advantage because most of these people listen, and so they kind of mm -hmm. know what they're in for. But if you are, if you kind of got a smile on your face, you know, and you're looking at them and you're eye to eye and you're, five feet away from or five inches away from them. Um, they're cool with it. And it's a weird vibe. I don't know if it works outside of the ticket that way with yeah. the wireless microphone. I don't know, but uh, for whatever reason, it works for us. And for people listening around um, the country or world, it's, it is, and this show is really for people that uh, entrepreneurs, founders, people that are early stage um, employees, early stage companies. And, and I think there's a lot to, to take away from this. Um, there is, there is, well, one is just interesting, the phenomenon around the microphone, which might not be directly uh, translatable to most people's lives, but um, that is one, I will say that is so true. The microphone, it's like nature abhors a vacuum. Yes. And it, you just sense that there's this massive vacuum right on the other side of this cord. Yeah. And it really does pull out uh, honesty. I also think podcasting um, is, is just a unique, I mentioned this almost on every episode, so I need to shut up about it, but uh, <laughs> podcasting, it just feels um, it's an unencumbered conversation. And how often in our lives do we even get never. this type of conversation? You never do unless you're, you know, at a bar and, and prop most of the time in your twenties, uh, outside of that, it just doesn't happen. You may do it with your really close friends every now and then, but you never have this long of a conversation. I don't know how long we've been talking, 20 minutes or whatever. That's, that's just super, super rare. Yeah. And it's it, so, it's so, especially awesome. now, right? Like, when you just, your phone is going to, you know, yeah. it's someone's going to call or someone's just going to get a sense that. What I'm talking about, I know that I can do this where I'm like, what I'm talking about with this person over coffee or lunch or just, you know, shooting the breeze might not be that interesting in any moment they could leave. Yeah. And, and I think it's, um, I think every, I'm, I imagine many people think that and, and it's, so it's just, it is, it's this thing that I'm, that I'm, uh, I'm really loving just the conversation, the fact that you can just sit down and have a real conversation with someone. It doesn't hurt that I get to chat with people like you, um, that are so, interesting have such a unique um, life experience that you get to tap into. But one of the things that I was going to say translates well to anyone that's listening is advice I got 10 years ago, which is, you know, a cliche now, but it is, um, well, I don't know if many people have heard it, but it is so spot on. It's be interested, not interesting. Yeah. And, oh yeah. 
And it is, it's, I think about that, yeah. not, I guess maybe it crossed my mind when interviewing, but more so just in every human interaction, it's Agreed. just, how do you be interested? And that's how you get, you can get gold from basically anyone. Yeah. Gordon or you with a wireless mic can get gold from anyone out there. It doesn't need to be someone. No, uh, everyone has a story and everyone's story has a moment where, whether they're an adult or a child or whatever, where you're like, whoa, whoa. Hang on, what? You know, I mean, there. Everybody has their story. No matter how people think, how much people think that, oh, my life sucks, it's boring, or what? No, you have your. There's something there. Yeah. You know, it's just a matter of getting it, getting it out of them. Well, speaking of, um, one of the questions that I like to ask guests is, tell me three stories that shaped, that helped shape your life. Um, and I'd love to know your stories and and three moments that that come to mind that helped shape your life. Well. For sure, there's there was one, and it's weird that you asked that because I was talking about this with a friend of mine um, last night, and there was a moment when I was 16, when my cousins from Oklahoma, they drove down, they lived in Tulsa, and so mom, dad, and then uh, they had four boys, 12, 9, 7, 4, and uh, so this would have been 1986, something like that. So I'm a sophomore in high school and I'm older than these boys. Clearly I, my, our families were super close. They came down for like three or four days and we went to ranger games and swam. I grew up in, in uh, Arlington on this canal and we would swim every day and all that. And we were really close to the boys and the boys looked up to me and I love that aspect of, of our relationship. Well, anyway, they took off and they were driving back home to Oklahoma and they were on 35 in Denton, right out or right before they got to Denton, and an 18 wheeler came across. They were going yeah. north, an 18 wheeler came across going south and hit them head on. Oh. Yeah. And it killed the dad, it killed the oldest son and the youngest son. And, uh, okay, so you, you put yourself in that position where um, there's no cell phones or anything. And at the time, they left at like whatever, 9, 10 in the morning. My dad wouldn't play golf. My mom and my sister, my sister was two years older, so she was a senior, um, they went to the mall. They went shopping. I went to work. I was working at a grocery store, like Sacken Groceries at the time. So I went from, I don't know, nine or ten, I don't even know when, how long my shift was. But I got home, and the minute I walk in the door, the phone's ringing. And I answer the phone, it's my grandpa, who lives in Oklahoma. And uh, he told me what happened and it had happened a couple hours earlier and they just couldn't just think about it. I mean that happened all the time back then you can't find people you know no. that's just part of it and um so I'm freaking out obviously you know learning this information at that age and I've got to track down my mom and uh whose family it was and then I got to find my dad too. And I remember being 16 and thinking to myself like, this is so fucked up on so many levels that I've got to, that I have to do this. My whole life up to that point had just been like any, you know, I, not any, but a lot of 16 year olds where it was the easiest life ever, you know, and you just kind of skirt through it and have fun and life is fun and all that. And 
I remember calling the mall and trying to get in touch with my mom and, and, uh, cause I knew she was there. And I knew which mall she was at and having them track her down and, and telling her, and I couldn't get in touch with my dad. I'd called the golf course and, and, uh, they were trying to find him, but telling my mom that, and then finally telling my dad that, mm. and then, you know, just going through that, going up to the hospital and, 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 um, with the boys, the two boys that survived who I'm, you know, I'm friends with today and, and, um, but like talking to them about it and it was a very big, how old were they? They were were nine and seven. So the 12 year old and the four year old were killed and they survived and they survived without a scratch. Hmm. Yeah. So screwed, screwed up. But, but like just that whole moment of, oh my God, my life is not this fairy tale. You know, mm-hmm. like it puts you in this place of shit, life is real. Like this is, you hear about these things, but you never hear about these things happening to you. This, yeah. this is real. And so it kind of taught me at that time um, about, you know, about your own mortality. And I remember talking to, to the mother and, and she was at, cause we went to the car and we had to get bags out of the car and she was asking me about blood and things like that. I'm like. I remember lying to her, you know, and like, no, 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 it's not that bad. It wasn't that bad, you know. And I, I their their mother, yes, yeah, she's, she's in the hospital asking me uh, about when I she she knew I went and got the things out of the car and and um, you know, it it was just it was just one of those moments where it sucked, but you realize that you're part of this this cog in in this engine where you're not you're not going to get out of this unscathed. And it didn't even, it wasn't even my family, you know, I mean, it was my family, but it wasn't my immediate family. But at the same time, I'm like, man, this stuff happens. This is what life is. Yeah. That was a huge, huge, like wake up call. Another one, um, for me, which is on a much lighter side was in college going to TCU. And I mean, I was the biggest fuck up in college. I mean, I just, whatever college was, it's almost like animal house stereotypical, like Mm -hmm. my college experience. And I'm not even kidding. It was a zoo (laughs) at all times. School was just not very important to me, but I remember all my friends got out, they graduated. And after like some four, some four and a half years, and I'm still like sitting in there in college. And I remember, um, they were, I remember getting a couple of phone calls from friends like that got jobs like legit job jobs when I'm 22, 23 or whatever. And I don't even remember how much longer I had in school, but I remember, (laughs) I remember them telling me that I had a job, that they had jobs and that this is where their life was headed. And I remember feeling like so inadequate, like what, what am I doing? What, what the, what, what is happening in my life left behind? Totally. Because you don't realize that at that age, there are so many people whether you're 18 or 22 or 25, you don't. People just don't figure it out at the right. same time. They don't, and Not I certainly all. had no idea. And everyone is trying to figure it out in their own solo way. It's yeah. like you socialize together 30 hours a week, yeah. but then that that solo ambition, career, figuring out, like no one really talks no. to their friends about that. So you only did, you know, yeah, you figure that out at the end of senior year. I had like a panic attack though, driving from Fort Worth to, I was waiting tables at the time. And I remember like seriously having to pull over because I was thinking about my friends working and 
like the the so and so would come up to you and be like, so you know, what are you doing? Well, I'm uh, I'm working for Anderson Cooper, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? I'm waiting tables, and I had this total one trillion percent panic, panic attack. And which where, I, where did you you were in your car? In my car, I will never forget where I was. I was on thirty right by this church that my parents, um, that I grew up at from a young age, like, uh, uh, St. Paul Lutheran church. I remember pulling over on the side of the road and like (gasps) heaving, like, what am I going to (laughs) do? What, what is, what's, what, what is my step where I can be proud of what I do? Which again is so stupid to think of at that age, but you don't know, you don't have any idea about, um, what what your life should be or or that, that really people don't give a shit mm-hmm. you know if if somebody that was 30 years old or 40 years old or 50 years old at the time would have been like hey what are you doing right now i'm waiting tables oh, okay cool right like i like right now i'm 49 and i'm thinking if some 22 year old kid that i know um like what what do you do now uh you know i'm just i'm working at the gap and just hanging out or whatever oh, all right that's cool you don't care. Yeah, no, it's, I've heard it described that it's like, it is like when older people ask children, even when they're like eight, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or when they're 22, what are you doing for? It's like poking a bug. You're just like poking at it just to see what they'll yeah. say. But the, the person being asked the question at eight or 18 is like, holy shit, I need to know yes. what I'm doing. I, what I'm going to be doing. And people are asking this question yeah. once every two weeks and I need to have a better answer because the, the last answer I gave was terrible. And Especially at 22. Yeah, no one no one cares Nobody cares. No, and, but you don't... I, I didn't. You may have known this. I, I didn't know. I didn't... No, I totally was trying, pressure. To, trying to create a great answer for that question. And I think like to what you're saying about a, an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old, because I remember that specifically, maybe not that young, but like probably 10, 12, where someone would say, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a doctor or a lawyer. Because I didn't even know any other professions outside of firefighter or superhero, you know, like it's right, just right. But and you I, have to, I, you have to satisfy that question. I said doctor until I was probably seventeen. I'm gonna be a doctor, yeah. and I remember like mothers, you know what? He will be because he's dedicated <laughs> to school. And like in my mind, I'm like, fuck, no, <laughs> fucking doctor. I'm like, and there's no fucking way I would be a doctor. But you just say that just to appease people. Yeah. Um, but but that moment of, and you really do think they care. Like it's like oh yeah the uncle and that's gonna asking go home. it's like right and talk about yeah talk about your you know I was talking to Corby <laughs> and um, you know I think that he's probably gonna go to Yale and, and be a doctor and and you know let's talk about this later on at dinner with all the other people that are that are coming over too we'll just have right. a discussion about Corby nobody yeah. cares. cares right no you just as an adult yeah it's just kind of a hey so what's up what are you doing right uh, well I'm working hard and uh, nobody cares yeah so that was a ri- but. That was a big come to Jesus moment. And I thought to myself, as I was pulled over, as I was pulled over on the side of the road, what am I doing? And, um, and then I kind of went back home and gathered myself and thought, what do you want to do? Because I still had no idea. And I thought to myself, all right, I really, really like listening to Howard Stern. I think he is awesome. And he has a ton of fun. And the people around him have a lot of fun. I want to do that. And so at that moment, I thought that that was, you know, that that was my path. 
that I wanted to try it at, at the very least. And I remember telling my friends that too. And the amount of laughs that I got, like, oh, rap, right? Really? Right. You know, like, uh, is there all buying boats I mean, it's and so, things like that? I, you, know? It, you know, what's so hilarious is like, I'm thinking to myself right now, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm literally talking to my radio hero uh, right now. Um, that uh, a little backstory on the ticket, by the way. So as a cult like following here and and in Texas and, um, you know, anyone that loves sports grows up listening to it and grew up listening to the nineties and early two thousands. When I grew up here, for those that don't know, uh, which what I, I don't even know what I'm saying cause no one knows this. Um, <laughs> literally like my three friends from Dallas that could be listening would know this, but, uh, in high school and in my introduction to, to Corby, uh, who's also known as the Cobra, um, thank you here in, in Dallas. My introduction was in the nineties. I'd listened to the ticket with my older brothers. I had three older brothers and, uh, that loved listening to the ticket. And so when I was like seven, eight, nine, listening to the ticket and some of the stuff that, that you all did was just very Howard Stern esque. It was just, yeah. it was priceless to get access to that, that type of stuff at, as a seven year old. But in high school, Every six weeks, we had to we had to go to a half day club, um, just to spend the day with your club. Uh, whatever you guys club had to do, this? had to okay. you had to okay. be a part of club. You couldn't. Well, it wasn't the half day. It was it was maybe an hour, and you had to go to a club. So we didn't like any of the clubs, and I tried a few of the different clubs, and and so my friends and I we created the ticket club which I've told you about briefly, but we created this, this thing. It was literally out of the sandlot, like sitting down on the green, nasty carpeted floors in a high school yeah. and, you know, classroom. And then we eventually went to the, uh, the, the locker room where we would just listen to the ticket, you know, for an hour. It was amazing. You had a full hour, full hour. And so it means we got about six minutes of ticket and about you know, 54 minutes of commercial. Stop it. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. And, um, and so we, uh, no, but we, and you came and spoke um, yeah. to the ticket club. Do you, were you the one that reached out? I don't even know. Who I wasn't reached the one out. that reached out. Probably a guy, Miles Motter, um, okay. who was the, the real ringleader of even putting this thing together, but created, we had, by the end of it, we probably had 50 club members. Um, yeah. It was, it was a coming, big class. I remember going and talking to coming to listen, listen to you guys every, every six weeks. And, but I'm laughing so hard because in my head, as you're saying, you know, that you at 22 wanted to be Howard Stern. I'm like, yeah, good luck, bud. Hunter <laughs> Slim, and you I'm literally have, in my in my view, have um, superseded that. I I I love listening to Howard Stern, but I can listen to you guys. Um, I almost need to listen to you guys. Well, yeah, thank you. Every day, that's awesome. Um, but you know, I remember there was a time when I would listen to because I was such a a dedicated Stern fan that I was listening to him um, working at the radio station instead of the morning show. And um, at some point, I don't know, maybe a year in to, um, to working there, I was like, I'm having, the morning show is better than Howard Stern. And what year was this? This would have been probably 97, something like that, so where I went full bore into the morning show because seriously and again it's howard is the king but craig and george and gordon are three of the funniest people that 
I know. Period. End of story. Mm -hmm. I love hanging out with those guys so much. Craig and George, I see them more than Gordon, but Craig I see more than anybody. But I love... I, I I mean, it's just, I laugh. That's it. That's, and I think that's kind of the, the basis of, of our radio station is that if you are, if you enjoy laughing, then that's the place for you. And I think that's why people stick with it because you think at some point during your day, commute, whatever, you're probably going to laugh, right? Yeah. And it is so not about the sports. And, no. And that is, it's, yeah. You know, it, it is, but it's, it's part not. Of sports it. is like the, the shield. Um, but it's, yeah. It's more about just the, the the whole scene, and yeah, we try to make each other laugh, and typically we do. So that's the, you know, that that the, the fact that you guys were aware of that though in high school is really cool because I don't know how many high schoolers now are in tune with that. You know, uh, maybe when they we always say that once you get to be about twenty three, twenty four, that you dive into it, just because mm-hmm. you're more of it's you, you've kind of set your routine. Mm-hmm. You start driving somewhere and you're listening to something or maybe another 24, 25 year old business associate, assuming you're in business, of course, um, is the, it talks about it um, and that you get more into it about that age. But the fact that you guys were ahead of the curve at that age is really cool. Yeah, it was it is um, so much so much fun getting to know you over the last few years. And and it is which is random, by the way, so like all of it. Yeah, everything in life is so random. Yeah, and um, do you want to tell a little bit about the story of how how we met? Uh, but I really want uh, to know. Okay, actually, no, I'll tell the story of how we met in ten seconds, so we can get back to. I want to hear more about twenty two saying I want to be Howard Stern. Okay, but the ten seconds of how we met so randomly was you. Were, one of the things that uh, that you guys covers entertainment news. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a section of the of the radio show, and. And it is, um, you covered, um, I think it was, um, it was Foo Fighters doing a concert. And my previous company was the, the fundraising platform that these fans in Blacksburg, Virginia, um, fundraised for the concert that the Foo Fighters had no idea was even going on. They were just like, let's raise $70,000 to try to bring, lure them to Blacksburg, Virginia, where they hadn't been in 20 years or so. And, and I think Dave Grohl's from Blacksburg. Or no, it wasn't Blacksburg. It was, um, it was. Oh God, Richmond. Yes, Richmond. Richmond. It was Richmond, yes. Virginia. Because I remember the Jefferson Hotel in Richmond. Yes. That's right. Yeah. And uh, and then you talked about it. And by uh, the way, this was in Rolling Stone. Yes. So the article was in Rolling, Rolling Stone, Stone, and I'll right. never forget like reading it straight from there and talking about your company and blah blah blah. And the, yeah, I'm telling the story and doing. I'm like, wow, what a really cool way to try to get these bands to do a show. Like, what an original idea. Like, we can sell this out if you would come here, and we'll do it in two seconds, and here, here's the proof. It's done. It's over. Yeah. Would you please come here? And we told the story. I'm like, this has got to be the future of, of uh, the way bands go about business, and then you emailed me. Yeah, my because fr- you're you one listening? of my friends. I wasn't listening at the time. I was running a 100-person company, and, and I didn't get as much ticket in, uh, during those days. Was Cheney listening, the, your yes, wife? Yes, my wife was listening. Okay. And she starts blowing up my phone along with probably 11 friends, 12 friends that were just blowing up my phone saying the ticket is talking about you. The ticket is talking about tilt and, and, and you guys are talking about the Foo Fighters stuff right now. Tune in. And so, um, I don't remember how I was able to tune in leaving a meeting or something, but tuned in. And it was just this crazy life moment where my hometown radio station was talking about this thing that I built. And, 
and and then people are tweeting at you that James is a P1. Yeah. The founder of the company is a P1. That means that preset one. What year was this? This was probably five years ago, maybe 2014. Yeah. Okay. 2014 or 2015. Yeah. And yeah, 2015 probably. And, and you know, people are saying that James is a P1, which is code for you know, your first preset button on the radio dial is the ticket. Right. And, uh, and and then you're like, awesome, have him email me. Put your email out uh, on Twitter and emailed you. And I bought you extra tickets. I'd gotten some tickets. And I was like, hey, I just got you tickets before this thing closed. Um, and, and, and this is my wife's favorite band, by the way. Yeah. Like, she's psychotic about them. I mean, you know, that's her whole world, basically, is is the Foo Fighters. It's been that way for, for years and years and years. And so I remember forwarding her your email and her just going, what the fuck? <laughs> What, what is happening? What is going on here? You know? And so, yeah, like that was this very kumbaya moment for, for us. It was amazing. And my wife is a, is a, maybe listens to the ticket even more than I do. And, um, and again, for, for people not in Dallas, it is, you guys have won every award there is to, uh, win as, mm -hmm. as a radio program. Um, might be the I, ratings wise, maybe the top, uh, sports radio in the country. Yeah. Um, so it is a it is a you know a complete phenomenon here in 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 Dallas and Texas, and uh, and so it was so crazy just to email back and forth, and um, and the the experience of actually going to the Foo Fighters concert was incredible, like a twelve so twelve hundred person oh. uh, venue, and and you know they say never meet your heroes, and it's totally true. You disappointed on almost all every, levels, every level. <laughs> God, that, what an that. asshole! <laughs> but uh, we remained friends once I recalibrated. Despite the fact, once I recalibrated for who you really, <laughs> right. really were. No, it was it. It actually, uh, you know, exceeded all expectations because you you really are who you, you are. An open book on the radio. You really yeah. are who you you almost have to be because you're on the radio. You know, you're on air so much every week. It's very hard to fake who who someone yeah. is. And uh, and it was. It was an amazing experience. Um, totally, fun. totally, uh, totally shifted. Just, um, I don't know. It was just a, it's such a, an amazing one of those life moments that completely random and you just can't believe that happened. It was, it was amazing. And then we become friends since then. And, and, um, and you know, uh, my wife and I, um, have gotten to know you and Julie over the yeah, years. Yeah, man. Amazing. And, um, but going back to your story of the, the panic attack, yeah. And then how, how much longer did you, was it later that day that you were like, all right. Nah, it was in the next couple of days where I was like, all right, you need to stop smoking weed. You need to sit down and you need to figure things out of where you're headed with all of this. And so, yeah, that's, it, it probably took, I don't even know, you know, I could be lying here. It probably took a few weeks for me to formulate some sort of plan, but I did for the first time in my life you know, outside of like sports and things like that growing up where I had a plan. I was like, all right, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to go. North Texas had a really good radio TV film program and TCU did not. And so bolted, went up there and started taking radio classes. Well, about that same time uh, is when the ticket started, like 93, 94 or whatever. And so... Again, I may be fudging six months or nine months, but they, when the when the radio station started, I was already working up at uh, at KNTU doing radio stuff, and then just kind of wandered over to the ticket within the first six months and said, 
I like you. Can I do something here? Yeah. And they hired me as an intern and kind of went from there. And I, I, I realized that I was learning a lot more spending time up there as any job, man. If, I mean, if you're whatever business it may be, if you're there, you're learning a lot more than you would be in any classroom, you know, mm-hmm. trying to teach you about what you could be learning at a place. Well, I'm there. Right. And I'm soaking everything up like every second of every day. And I was like, you know what? I need to, I just, I need to move to Dallas and this needs to be something that I'm focused on and I can get some sort of half-assed job to pay the bills, but I need to be closer to the radio station. So I did that. And then not too long after that, I was hired to do the, to do the weekend overnight board op shift, which was Friday and Saturday nights from 10 PM to 6 AM where I played commercials so my social life at 20, whatever, three, four, however old I was at the time, like, I mean, you know what it's like being that age where you just, you go out, you hang with your friends, you go out and that's it. Mm-hmm. And that was all gone on Friday and Saturdays. It was just done. Cause I was I'm like, all right, this is what I want to do. I know my foot's in the door. So do this, you know, it's, spend this time doing this and you'll, it'll pay off in the, in the, eventually. Well, it is so interesting because it's, it is, I think it, a few years ago I had the realization you just have to tell the world what you want. And I think 22 is such a perfect, and that story of just saying, okay, I want to be Howard Stern. I think a lot of us, you know, it's the worst case stories. You keep that to yourself for 20, 30 years of what yeah. you really wanted to be, but you're so cautious of those laughs or you're so cautious of that it that certainly does not check the box for that answer you had until you're 17 of doctor yeah like, all right thumbs up that sounds great and i know it's totally doable. i know it is actually but it's the spirit of the question yeah people really do want to know what what someone wants to be and you know i i i say that i wanted to be howard stern i didn't want to be howard stern i wanted to work in the industry that howard mm-hmm. stern worked in and you know, there were times like moving up along the way, the, 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 you know, proverbial company ladder where like I was hired, you know, from overnight night board up to weekend board up to fill in producer. And then I got a producer job, like to produce a radio show. And when I was hired to do that, I was doing the 10 to noon show, which is not like the most coveted show, you know, at the time. And, but at that point when they hired me to do that, I'm like, I'm good. Like I, if if at all, if this is it, I'm happy mm. because um, I'm doing something that I really have a lot of fun doing, and I know I'm not making a lot of money doing it, but this is this is what I wanted to be in, and I'm in it, and I'm happy, mm-hmm. you know. And then you, maybe that's part of the deal too of growing up, where you don't really have any aspirations of you're happy. Like you're happy at certain places and you're not constantly saying, I've got to get to this point. I have to, to, to make it in my life. I've got to get to certain levels. Maybe it's better to be happy with where you are. And if things happen, then things happen, you know, For sure. I'm not, I, I'm not saying that ambition's the the wrong way to go about things because obviously it works, but no, I think there's some, there's something really wise in that for, for people to, to take in of. I think we all know what those people are like that you just know whatever they're doing, they're really trying to get somewhere else. Yeah. And within five seconds of, of a new job within three months, 
you know they're trying to get somewhere else. It makes them one pretty just undependable. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, this is not where they want to be. Um, but, but two, it's, it is, it becomes, you just feel like, okay, every, everything around this person is a stepping stone. I know people right. in, in, in San Francisco, God, it is, it is such an ambitious city, but everybody is trying to get somewhere else. Yeah. No matter where you see them, whether it is literally you know, on the street in a dense urban area where they're stopping to say hi as a friend for two seconds, but they're really getting somewhere else or whether it is figuratively and they're at this, this company for, this is a, a side stat for, for, um, for you just within tech. I read recently that the average tenure of an engineer at a company is 14 months. That's in, in Silicon Valley. That's that is, weird. That is insane. I mean, you don't get good at anything for two years. No, uh, much less, you know, 14 months means that like psychologically, because changing jobs is a pretty big deal. You're probably checking out, you know, six month, months before that. So what is that? That's like you're eight months in already thinking about the, the next, next move, the next move that always backfires on people. You see a resume yeah. with three different jobs in, in five years. You see it in, in sports too. Like yeah. people that they're constantly looking for the next paycheck or whatever they want to get maxed out, which whatever, I'm fine with all that. But you see it so often where they're in a really good spot with their squad or whatever. And then they go somewhere else to chase the money. And then it's like, huh? Why did I just do that? Like, what was the, what was the point of all that? You know? And that's on a much higher level, obviously they're going to be set for life no matter what. So they can eliminate the money issues, but, but that doesn't mean they'll be happy. No, no. Someone like, and this, uh, you know, brings it, brings it to a Dallas athlete that has done it so phenomenally well. Uh, I imagine, you know, I'm going to say, but Dirk, um, Nowitzki, a basketball player for the Dallas Mavericks been here 21 years, 21, 21 years. And, um, and he just seems like he is loving life. He's again. Yeah. He's, but he, he, he was never the guy who was chasing anything. He just wanted to be here. He appreciated, you got to have a good group around you, you know, to, to want to be that, um, I guess More happy. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. There's gotta be other, you know, circumstances surrounding it, but he realized what he had. He knew he had an owner that he really liked that was willing to try to do anything to win. Um, he loved the city. And I think he realized that if I go somewhere else, yeah, I probably could win, but am I going to be happier? Is that going to make me happy? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's now it's storybook what's happening right now. All, All right. of it. It's like, you know, he's got 10 games left and it's just every other like last night every was arena. a storybook yes every arenas yeah he's Standing in oakland ovation. yeah i mean he's out there right. where you are and, and those guys are they're the best team in the world and maybe ever and those fans have seen all that and to see their reaction last night dirk scoring 21 and the standing ovations they gave him and and steve nash talking just about what a human being he is and steve kerr talking about him like he hasn't talked about his own team probably in five years that guy did it the right way and he did it in a way too, where, hey, hey, uh, you know, you want to? I got this Rolex, and we want you to be in this commercial, and and I want you to wear a fila and blah blah. Mm -hmm. and he's just like, no, I'm all right, I'm good, I'm good. And again, he makes X amount of dollars, which he doesn't have to do those things, but 
But you were, I mean, I don't know how much you were making, but you also felt good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I felt really good about it. And I'm, I'm you know, I was, I, at the time, I was on the poverty level. Mm-hmm. But it's, it was, I was happy. I was happy with what I had done and where I was headed, I thought. And, and I was happy within the industry that I chose. Mm-hmm. And, a lot of people at that time were getting in out of there, leaving the ticket, doing certain things. And I never heard from them again, mm-hmm. but it was such a special place. And I think I realized that early on, like, I don't want to leave here. And now I'm here 25 years later. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, that's, this is going to be my only job. Like this will be, this is it. This will be the only thing when I'm retired that I look back on and that's it. And I'm okay with that. You know? Well, when you give that notice uh, a year out that it could be your last year, I hope I hope they're giving you a standing O every day. No, you walk I'm, in, not, I'm not telling anyone. <laughs> I don't. Do, that's the page out of the dirt book. I'm not saying a word to anyone. In about a week before, I'll be like, "By the way, I'm leaving." <laughs> that's it. That's it. I'm going to the mountains. I'll see you later. Um, okay, so uh, that was in '97. So uh, or '96 when you joined '97. Was that 97 when you got the 10 to... to no, it was 96. So I joined in 90, like late 94. Okay. This was the, when I was interning. Or 90, maybe it was 95. I don't remember. But yeah, I remember 96 is when I got the the producer's job. Mm. Yeah. And um, and there's so many things I want to get to in our, in our uh, you know, condensed time. But um, okay, so that panic attack and then, and then uh, deciding... Uh, and I, and uh, one thing that is, um, I'll note about that a lot of great life decisions or life just happenings come on the other side of just what seems like a catastrophe. Um, oh, yeah. and, and that has come up a handful of times in, in my conversations so far, but I also think it is sometimes when you don't have the courage to jump, it can be a really good thing when the world just pushes you off. And, and if that happens, you have just as much likelihood of Providence catching you as if you jumped yourself. And it's, um, I know in, in my career, it's been things where I'd like to say I had the courage to just say, go and do this. But, um, but it was actually like, no, the alternatives really sucked. Yeah. And, and it was felt forced, uh, to, to do it, but it was just as well. Yeah. I, it's it's weird, you know. Having only done one thing, it's it's really one thing. I've been in one one radio station, one industry, but have you know done different things. It's weird to look at, and I'm lucky. Like I'm super super lucky. Um, even the path that I took, you know, I'm 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 the only dude up there that wasn't that wasn't hired. Hey, you're a host. We would like you to be a host here. You know, like everybody up there was, was a host. And when they were hired, I had to kind of climb the ladder. Uh, so my path is so weird and different. And I'm not saying that it's the best path or um, one that I would recommend. But the bottom line is, if you are satisfied with where you are, it makes things a lot easier. And I know that drive and ambition change a lot of things but if you do have that just bit of calmness like this is cool mm-hmm. I'm okay then you're so far ahead of the game yeah enough is as good as a feast 
Like you could have yeah, I, I, 12 steaks in front of you. Yeah. But really, you know, we can only eat one. And that one is as good as a feast of, of, right. of 12. Right. And there, there, there's so, you know, especially what you're, the business that you got into and the people that you talk to, it's a freaking pressure cooker, man. Like I've, I remember talking to you saying, hey, do you watch Silicon Valley? And you're like, no, nah, I had to quit watching it. Like it was too real. Like it was too. Yeah. Our house in Palo Alto when we got started, six guys in a four bedroom house. It was yeah. way too real. It, it to was, and, and just the, the, the so well researched. Yeah, oh yeah. The, the missteps, you know, the ups yeah. and the downs and all that. And it's you see where that that is a ooh, that's an ass kicker, you know. And so I don't know what the what the that point of satisfaction would be if you're constantly chasing i don't, I don't know i think it you, well if you orient your it's ambition is good but it's when if it's misplaced on the wrong train tracks then fuck, i mean you you don't know where you're going to end up right and and my my ambition was uh and and my co-founders and the people that i that i was so lucky to be introduced to it seemed very much like we're all cut from the same cloth of wanting to learn as much as possible. Yeah. And if that's your ambition, then God, you can be so satisfied with, with however things are unfolding. Cause maybe that's the key. If you're always like a student, you know, and you're always, Oh God. So, I mean, the world is just so replete with lessons. Yeah. And you just, whether it is, you know, figuratively putting your hand on, on the hot stove, like there's just, there's a, there's so many things you can uh, do, you know, it's not to get too, too uh, deeper, but it is, I think one of the most integral things for us is to heed the call to adventure. Yeah. That I agree with. And it's like, okay, if that's what you're heeding, is that, if that's what you're orienting your, your uh, ambition to, or just your experience. Cause I mean, it could be, you know, it could be anything that's orienting you to that. And, and that's what you're seeking. Then, then you're going to get that. You're going to get an adventure no matter what way True. it unfolds. And, and I think it's so, it is so um, sad when you have friends that, you know, they're here, they're hearing the call. I know they're hearing the call over and over again for that adventure and not heeding it. No, I've got plenty of friends my age that it's just like, dude, you know, just come on, just, I know it's there in you and it's just, I don't know. And they can, I feel like. I know there's age. no doubt. There's no doubt that, you know, they're in the wrong place. They're not happy, you know, yeah. and that's the other thing. It's one thing to be like, okay, I'm satisfied, but you better be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Like, don't just say, this is my lot in life. That's not right. satisfied. Your lot in life is not just something that you're sitting there when you're 30 and like, well, this is it. Right, repressing. Yeah, and the, if you're the voices, yeah, again, yeah, and if you're not truly happy with it, then do something, do something about it. Right, you know, and if it's if you think that you're locked into something because you have a young family or whatever, man, now's the time. It's, you gotta. Yeah. It is not true. It's it, it is, and and maybe it can sound so easy to say, it, but it's it's actually the people that that, and this is what is great about. Um, you know, people in their twenties, there's just no risk. Yeah. Like here, heeding that call when you're in your twenties is the cheapest time to do it. Yeah. That's and like, I, I was talking about, you know, with the being 22 and, and having people ask, so what's up? What are you doing, man? Right. You know, and 
my hair's all long and they're probably thinking like, oh, this guy's just smoking weed every day. Well, I may be just smoking <laughs> weed every day, but there's something there. Wisdom game. Yeah. Shaman. You're right. You were a modern day shaman back then. <laughs> Underappreciated shaman. 1993. Yeah. Um, okay. So tell me the third story that helped shape your life. All right. So it's, it's not as, um, it's not as big as the other two, as far as the way I look at things. Um, because it deals with more modern times and I feel that, you know, outside of basic adult tragedy, um, we all kind of go through the, the same ups and downs, but it was when, uh, I, so the, the, the job that I had as a producer, the host basically got fired and then I was kind of like this free agent type thing because I knew that whoever they hired was probably going to bring in their own guy. And so the afternoon show that's there right now, and this was in 99, something like that, when all this went down, the they added a show that was noon to three and they asked a noon to three show, which are guys named Bob and Dan, to do 10 to three. So they took that two-hour slot and they asked me, they said, hey, do you want to just do, would you want to just be on the air with us and just forget the producing role? And so they asked my boss and they were like, boss was like, yeah, why don't you do that? And I, I remember the, that first week of being on the air with them and just having the freedom to talk whenever I wanted to and to do whatever I wanted bitwise or whatever, just do whatever you wanted to do. And I remember thinking like, holy crap, this, it opened up everything. It was like, it opened up my mind. It opened up ideas. It just, it, it freed me up to really, really realize that I had a lot more to offer, you know, than just, and I was, ha again, I was happy. I was totally cool with whatever, but at that point, I'm like, I started going into locker rooms and doing interviews and doing bits and laughing. And and uh, I knew then, I'm like, this is it. The, I, I can mm -hmm. do this. I'm fully capable. At, I think it was 27, 28 at that time. I, not only do I think I can do this, I'm pretty good at it. And... That was a huge, huge moment, just mm -hmm. career-wise, thinking that, knowing that I could take it to to the next level. What do you think gave them the the feeling that it was going to be the right move for you to go on the air? Uh, I mean, I was on the air enough as a producer, and you know, yucking it up and laughing. And I think my first interview that I did with with Shaq with Shaquille O'Neal was during that time, and that opened up a lot of doors for me. But that was. They, they saw that, you know, that there was probably more to it than just planning a show. And, you know, that's kind of what a producer does is just plan a show. Um, they knew that. And, I you know, you hang out with people long enough and you know that they're naturally kind of entertaining or entertainers or funny or whatever. And, and for listeners, um, Shaq loves Corby so much that if you just YouTube Shaq, Corby <laughs> Davidson, like he, he has wanted to do a podcast with you for a few years now. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully at some point that that goes down, but um, you know it was it was it was an eye opener for for me, and and it may have been an eye opener for the bosses. I'm not sure, but at that point, yeah, I was like, all right, this is probably what I'm mm -hmm. what I'm good at, you know. Yeah. 
is there is there um a net negative to over ambition in your profession yeah you, i mean yes and no Can it work against you yeah probably so i mean i think a lot of people that have grown up around here in the last 20 years say oh, oh my god like i did i like listen to howard stern i want to do that people listen to the ticket i want to do that well the problem is is that the game's kind of been locked now for so long. Like we've had the same people on there and we have to ch look, we got to evolve. We got to get younger. It's going to happen at some point. Um, but I think a lot of people got squeezed out just because they were the wrong age at the wrong time. I was the right age at the right time when the thing started, you know, if I would have been born 10 years prior or mm. 10 years later, I would have never stepped foot in that place ever. Mm. Not a chance. Um, so it's, you know, it definitely just was kind of this harmonic convergence of, of things happening at the right time. Um, what do you what do you think about when people tell you that, you know, you have millions of, of listeners that listen to you on their drive to work and and you can just imagine the stereotypical commute where you just you hate your job. Yeah. And you do not want to. Uh, go there on a Monday and and or on the way back uh, on a Monday and it's just the last thing you want to think about is work and you listen to um, and you listen to the Hardline, your show and and um, people must be thinking, God, I wonder what it's like to do that. And so that must bleed into when people see you or meet you. you know, what goes through your mind when someone says, man, you, you must you must have the best job in the world. What goes? What well, goes partially they're right because it is it is a lot of fun. Um, but it's a lot of work you know. And, and, but more than anything, if somebody says that, or if someone says like, Hey, you know, I, I drive 30 minutes home or to work and home every day. And you guys get me through my day, just knowing that I'm get to do that. That is like the ultimate compliment mm -hmm. because I mean, that's a reality of life. Most people, not most people, but a lot of people, their lives are, they're rough you know, they're, they work hard jobs and a lot of stress. And yeah, there's a, a stat that, uh, that I read recently. It's 72% um, of people, only 28% of people uh, like and or love what they do. Yeah, and I would even think it was smaller than that. But yeah. uh, to know that you're, you're doing almost a service, if you want to call it that, of relaxing people and making them laugh if their life sucks or before they get home and deal with whatever they have to do at home. But in the meantime, they it's legitimately an escape and a release. Uh, yeah, that's, that's like the most heady thing that you'll hear. And you know, you're like, Hey man, I, thanks for listening or whatever. And then they'll drop that on you and you're like, wow, you're doing something it's not like a typical, like, uh, I, I'm, I'm not a doctor serving people and helping them live longer lives, but in whatever little way, I'm making them happy for X amount of time and mm -hmm. that they're part of this culture that we created. That's super cool, and that's something that... Um, and laughter is the best medicine. Yeah, Ergo, yeah. you basically are a doctor. <laughs> right, exactly. You became Thank a you. doctor. So, yeah, so my when I said I was going to be a doctor, full circle, <laughs> I wasn't gonna lying. I'm going to prescribe <laughs> laughter, laughter yes. all day <laughs> right. for free. So you're part of big laughter. Yes, Trying big to laughter. laughter <laughs> okay, okay. Seeing behind the veil. Big laughter. Yeah, okay. So you, all right. I know you all run together. Um, okay. Last question for you. Uh, what's, what is a topic that you think a lot about that you never get a chance to talk about that you never, 
No, it never comes up professionally or you know what's weird is that socially. or is there there's not yeah because you there's not we talk about anything and everything whether it's politics which we will get in a lot of trouble for just from people like you know if, if we mention anything trump related it is fuck you on both sides they think mm. that you're the biggest ass kisser of him or that you hate them so you're against them and and, you know, we don't talk politics a ton, but we certainly get into the issues of the day, you know. Yeah, the um, the leaving Nether- Neverland yeah. stuff. The Michael Jackson the stuff. The Michael Jackson stuff. Yeah. I, I didn't hear anyone, like, there, I don't, I haven't heard, like, I, I was listening to um, a podcast recently where the host, I think it was Joe Rogan, that just said, I'm, I'm not touching that. And you guys spent... We spent a day, a week on it. Yeah, you and, like and for you real. Had, yeah, and you had everybody watch it. Um, yeah, it was. What made you want to? Yeah, well, you really do cover every. every yeah, time. yeah. Much. I mean, it's it's well, okay. The the key is, I think, for for radio in general, is to um, like I thought in the beginning is like I got to be funny, got to be funny, got to be funny, got to be funny, and then you learn pretty quickly that you got to be entertaining. And there's a difference. There's a huge difference, you know, like laughter and being funny. That just comes with the territory. But you better entertain in the meantime. And so, for me personally, it is looking at whatever topic, whether it's a documentary, whether it's uh, you know your a life experience bring it to the air and make it entertaining, make it something that people could relate to, make it something that people can laugh at or laugh with you or whatever, you know, just entertain. Mm-hmm. And there is a difference between that and that and laughter. And, and well, it, so, and, and, and even if it's political. Yeah. Or leaving another, it wasn't even about laughs. It was actually just kind of a cathartic. Yeah. Collective uh, debrief. Well, and, and I think, you know, for me, you know, having kids that are, um, you know, they're nine and 13 now, but, uh, seeing the predator, like what a predator does to lure your kids in. It wasn't a documentary about Michael Jackson for me. It was a documentary about a fucking monster that lured these kids into his web. And that's not, that's just what those people do. His, he just had a different way of going about it, an easier route, obviously. But that's what that was about. And it just disgusted me so much mm-hmm. that, you know, you want to talk about it. You want to, like, look, if, if no matter if it's the, the entertainer, the priest, the coach, the uncle, mm-hmm. <laughs> no matter what, just be aware, right? I mean, that, that's like the most disgusting, vile, horrible, awful thing that you can do to another human being outside of killing them. Mm-hmm. is molesting a child. And so if you can just get a message out there that, hey, this is what you need to look out for, this is what this documentary taught us, then so be it. Yeah, I haven't I haven't watched it, but... Um, it's so fucked yeah. up. Oh, God. Everything that that guy did, everything he did, probably outside of recording music and maybe even sometimes within that, was it was a pedophile ring. It was too... <sighs> have America say I'm okay with that because he's just a little weird, just a little goofy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you'll watch, you'll see. It's it doesn't take a genius to figure that out pretty quickly. Right. Yeah, that's what the consensus seems to to say. Well, the uh yeah, I guess the question of uh what, what do you think about and don't talk about to the guy that is paid to talk for 20 hours on the radio every week about 
all kinds of, I mean, touching all to- uh, topics. It is, uh, there's nothing. Makes, yeah. Makes, makes total sense. Yeah. Well, Cobra, I am so pumped that I got to spend this time with you. Um, yeah, buddy. I uh, really appreciate, appreciate the time you gave to, to myself and, and the listeners, uh, on all of the topics we covered. Thanks so much. And looking forward to maybe we'll do it again sometime. Anytime. You know that. Awesome. All right, bud. Thank you, bud. Friends and listeners, thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode or you enjoy Below the Line in general, go ahead and subscribe on the iTunes podcast app or leave a quick review. We love those basically because we just we love hearing from people that find value from these kinds of conversations. And leaving a review, good or bad, is a great way to encourage more of this dialogue and, and lets us know that people are enjoying it. So we appreciate those. You can also follow us on Twitter and tweet us questions anytime. Or you can email us at askbelowtheline at gmail.com. I'm your host, James Bechera, and this has been another episode of Below the Line. Until next time. Below the Line with James Bechera is brought to you by Straight Up Podcasts.